So it's a great pleasure to welcome you to this interview with Vivian Jabri. Thank you so much for taking the time to discuss your work. Vivian Jabri is Professor of International Politics in the Department of War Studies at King's College London. Her research focuses on international political theory, critical social and political theory, post-colonialism and feminist perspectives, with specific interest in the politics of conflict, violence, and security practices. Her most recent book include War and the Transformation of Global Politics and the Postcolonial Subject, Claiming Politics Governing Others in Late Modernity. And in 2016, Vivian Jabri co-curated the exhibition Traces of War at King's College London. Um, and my name is Christine Toft. I'm a PhD student at the University of Southern Denmark and a member of the research group, The Aesthetics of Late Modern War, which earlier today hosted the seminar War and Philosophy. This seminar is part of an ongoing series of seminar, the War Seminars, where we, the research group, invite international renowned researchers working on war and violence to discuss questions such as what is the future of war? How can we conceptualize the changing character of war? Which insight from the humanities can we, can we bring to bear on the topic of warfare? What is the role of aesthetics? What is the role of philosophy? What is the role of media theory in thinking through contemporary warfare? In today's seminar, War and Philosophy, you participated alongside with Christopher Coker from London School of Economics, Eileen Scary from Harvard University, and Josef Vogel from Humboldt Universität in Berlin. Your presentation was titled War, Aesthetics, Politics. And one of the key points uh, was that war and aesthetic and politics are closely related and that aesthetics or images of war affect politics, both on the war-making side, but also on the opposing side. So could you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I started the talk by elaborating on what I call this, this triptych of um, war, the aesthetic and the political. I use the term triptych because I suggest that each of these categories is somehow related to the other. So there's a, you might assume that there's a mutually constitutive relationship going on but it's a tense relationship. So the curiosity is about what's happening at the border between each element of the triptych. So what's happening at the border between war and the aesthetic, between the aesthetic and the political. Um, and indeed, when you bring war uh, into the political, is that a manifestation of the aesthetic? In other words, is the aesthetic complicit in placing war right at the heart of politics. And what I did in the talk was to elaborate on the dynamic of this complex relationship historically in, in uh, philosophy as well as in, in aesthetic practices and in aesthetic theory. And I highlighted in particular Walter Benjamin's ideas relating to um, relating to the aestheticization of violence and through that aestheticization the um, 
aestheticization of politics, he associated this move in particular with fascist politics. So for Walter Benjamin, famously, you have the idea that to bring in the aesthetic into the political, and in particular, as the Italian futurists did, Marinetti's manifesto of the futurists, to celebrate violence as a means of not just mobilization, but thinking about the future, both in the arts and in the political sphere, to do that would indeed be a placing of violence into the sphere of the political, a celebration somehow of uh, the death of human beings. In other words, rendering beautiful the death of uh, human beings. And what's interesting in Benjamin is that he has, a, he has a quote from the manifesto which refers to the bombing of, uh, of Ethiopia and the, and the population there. So that um, suggests that Walter Benjamin had an idea of the devastations and the violence incurred upon the colonized populations, if you like. But he was primarily interested in the centralizing of war in emerging fascist politics in the European context. So what Benjamin does is to make an interesting move when it comes to the aesthetic, which is to say that uh, he, he argued that where you have an aestheticization of politics from the fascist side of things, from those, in other words, who glorify violence and, and war, he thought, however, that aesthetic production, that the arts could have a role to play in exactly resisting that position. So he, would, he did not entirely give up on the arts or on aesthetic production more widely conceived. And in his The Work of Arts in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction, he particularly focuses on photography and film and the potentiality with these genres to produce works of art that are critical of a politics based on warfare and the glorification of war. So he lands in particular on the um, style of work that came to be known as photomontage. Why that was interesting for Walter Benjamin and um, the Dadaists produced photomontage in their protests against the First World War, why Walter Benjamin in particular was interested in this and what's so fascinating for my purposes and for any critical theorist really is that Benjamin is arguing against the primacy placed on the image. What photomontage does is interrupt and shatter the image through words. In other words, he reintroduces words into the aesthetic form. He, he suggests that this form of work, the photomontage, fragments the image, and in so fragmenting, questions notions of the aura of the artwork, notions of authenticity, and, and so on. So politically, that becomes a very interesting point to hold on to when it comes to 
a critical rendition of aesthetic theory when it comes to war and the violence of war and how it's depicted, mm. uh, how it's depicted in the arts. Now, the other thing I talked about was to say that not only do you have an aestheticization of violence in uh, the discourses and, and practices of uh, those who glorify war, but also use war as a, as a technology in the control of populations. Huge footnote here has happened, for example, in the use of shock and awe tactics uh, in, at the outset of the invasion of Iraq in 2003. That particular uh, doctrine, shock and awe, is based not simply on the defeat of an enemy, but also on targeting a wider public sphere and aiming shock and awe at the gaze mm. of a wider public sphere with a view to, in a sense, governing what is seen, how it is seen, um, uh, governing perceptions of uh, the underpinning politics of uh, invasion and occupation and, and so on. So I talked about that. So the aestheticization of violence is happening there, and shock and awe is the example, if you like, mm. of such uh, aestheticization taking place in the practice of war. But we've seen that it also takes place in the art of war. Mm. On the other hand, what I've argued in, in the recent past, is to say that even artworks and the photography of war that focuses on the devastations of war. So I was talking in my, in, uh, I suggested in my talk, thinking about Goya mm -hmm. on, on the one hand, but also in more recent times, Don McCullen on the other. In these, uh, if you like, what we might call humanitarian renditions, of the devastations of war, what you see there is once again not so much a celebration of violence, but a continued aestheticization of the violence of war. So that in Goya you indeed see a total fascination with the vis visceral destruction of, of the human body. It's portrayed in all sorts of grotesque ways hung on the branches of trees. Uh, the female body in particular is shown in, in, in particular ways that once again assert, if you like, the aesthetic rationality rather than a distinct opposition to war, though Goya was, of course, opposed to the Napoleonic invasion of, uh, of Spain and produced the disasters <laughs> of war. For, for that purpose. So you have this aestheticization of violence on both sides of the mm. equation, both on the celebratory side, but also on the oppositional, if you like, humanitarian side. And my argument uh, is that, in a sense, you might mobilize aesthetic theory and aesthetic practice against the aestheticization of violence in both of these yeah. 
genres of aesthetic production. Yeah, and could you, um, so you, those renditions of Wars, uh, Goyas and McCollins, um, you said something about how the representation of war there also, um, or that you said that war here is represented as an exception, mm. as something that's, um, yeah, as an exception, whereas, and, and it doesn't really grasp sort of the everyday or the mm. mundane, um, the everydayness of war or the mundane uh, everyday life. Um, and in your talk, you eventually came to Franz Fanon, who had some very interesting, I, at least I think, um, perspectives on what the everyday life of war yes. um, is and how war is not this exception, but permeates mm -hmm. everyday life practices and how that in a way escapes or yeah. isn't grasped by the way we tend to aestheticize war, and that might actually yes. also be a huge problem. That's right. So maybe you could could say a little bit about that and then move on to uh, some of those uh, examples you talked about yeah. where artists actually try to show the this, this everyday life mm. uh, of, of war um, in, in different ways that yeah. sort of works again, this like tendency to eventify war yes. in a way. So what I was talking about earlier in the day was that whereas war is conventionally seen as the exception, if you like the moment of crisis and the exception, exception happens over there in distant lands so it's conferred a particular spatial articulation, but also a particular temporal articulation. It's at some distance removed. Uh, it takes place in a particular time. The idea that war will come to an end, and I made reference to H.G. Wells's War to End All Wars and reference to the First World War. Um, I made reference to Paul Nash, a British war artisan in the war, and um, his titling of one of his works, We Are Making a New War. Uh, Immanuel Kant, in his Perpetual Peace, talks about the idea of ending war through the creation of institutions of government that would render war uh, un simply unacceptable. And that's what uh, perpetual peace uh, does as a as a as a tract, if you like, philosophical tract. And what I argued was that this kind of uh, enlightenment thinking does not take into account the use of violence from atrocity and all the way to violence in the manifest in the everyday that uh, in a sense took place in colonial times and the way in which Franz Fanon writes about the violence of colonial rule is exactly by highlighting 
the permeation of violence into the everyday and the routine of interactions. So um, he also writes about um, the racialized redesign of colonial spaces whereby the colonized and the colonizer are separated. Um, but specifically, he writes about the violence perpetrated against the bodies of the, those colonized and, and indeed as a psychoanalyst, he was very interested in the psychological impact of the violence of colonial rule. So what this brings onto our table, specifically what, what it brings into the triptych, if you like, mm -hmm. is to say that our thinking about war changes in reading someone like Franz Fanon. For the colonized, war is not a distant occurrence. The violence of war is exactly in the everyday. Um, and it permeates the governing structures of the colonial state. And the history of colonialism absolutely uh, reveals such violence. So when war is in the everyday and the routine, what then happens to the aesthetic form that deals with violence and with war. But before I get to that, um, I also brought in and, and invoked Michel Foucault and his understanding of war. You know, he writes about the silent war of battle that permeates the microcosmic practices of governing uh, governing institutions. He writes about governmentality specifically. And uh, where conventionally war is seen as the manifestation of sovereign power, and it is such, right? Nevertheless, what happens in, what has happened in contemporary war is that, and through the specifically in interventionist wars, which are forms of colonization in 21st century form, uh, what happens there is that war, its technologies and its personalities, indeed its practices, are brought into the everyday of those uh, territories occupied um, through, these, through these interventions. So what I've argued is that uh, war is not somehow this extraordinary event seen through the vantage point of the colonized, but becomes a technology in the government of populations so that power articulates itself, not simply through the uh, sovereign enactment of shock and awe, but also through the microcosm of governmentalizing practices, the everydayness mm -hmm. of, of war in that sense. So that does something to our category of war in the triptych. It does something to thinking about the aesthetic and, and, uh, and the political. Mm. And so looking at what I did, um, specifically in Traces of War, but in thinking of other artists as well, um, is, is to look at the uh, 
art, the form of art that's produced in response to the late modern wars that we have witnessed in our, in our lifetime. And I mentioned uh, artists like uh, Janan Al-Ani, who, who, who took part in the exhibition that I co-curated, Traces of War, uh, her use of aerial photography to, if you like, the, uh, using the technology of surveillance to look at, um, to, to, to evoke territories that are conceived to be people-less without history, without subjectivity and so on, but to suggest that in those aerial forms you can unravel the layers of violence, the historic archaeology of violence that permeates those lands currently made susceptible to to, uh, to intervention. But what's interesting about contemporary art is that, just to make a connection to Walter Benjamin, probably finally, mm. is to say that um, Benjamin was arguing for a form of de-aestheticization. And in his day, he was talking about photomontage. However, in contemporary art, you do see a de-aestheticization in, for example, the um, inst work of installation, installation artists like Mona Hattun, um, installation artists like uh, Janan Al-Ani, Sean Gladwell, and, and so on. All of these people, artists, um, might, like Janan Al-Ani's case, Sean Gladwell's case, make use of film and photography, but it's in highly de-aestheticized form, taking, mm -hmm. in other words, the aura, to use Benjamin's mm -hmm. terminology, out of the artwork, challenging notions of the authentic, if you, if you like, which uh, is a notion that the aestheticization of politics actually makes a great deal of you, of great use of in, in its uh, discourses. So that's that's how the the talk went, I think. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it was a very a very brief uh, summary of your, your talk, your very yeah. interesting talk. And uh, maybe we should round it up here okay. and end it in the discussion here. Um, even though it would have been interesting also to hear a little bit more about these different practices that these artists use uh, but people have the names so they can look them up yeah, yeah <laughs> and find out what they what they do uh, so once again thank you for taking your time to discuss your work with us and for sharing your thoughts pleasure